You know, in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon pastored the uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle Church in London, England. And in the mid-1800s, he was uh, a pastor that everybody was looking to. Um, He's known as the Prince of Preachers. Uh, Under his leadership, this particular church had grown tremendously, started with just a a few hundred people and and got to thousands. Uh, So so large, in fact, that the the members had to be given a ticket with a seat number so they'd have a place to sit. Uh, And then after all the members of the church were seated, they would open the windows and all the people would gather literally around the building to listen in to what God was doing. Under Charles Spurgeon's leadership, um, the ministries expanded. They started orphanages, had dozens of outreach ministries in the community. They did a, had a training center for young pastors with almost a thousand students. Spurgeon's preaching is exceptional. He would preach from one page of notes. He would speak about 140 words a minute and he would talk for 40 minutes straight. It was an incredible preacher. He spoke with such eloquence and a beautiful blend of deep truth about God and yet included humorous stories of real life to help people apply the truth to their life. So the Lord greatly used Spurgeon in his day and even since then. I have his books in my library. I've read his sermons. I've gained a lot from his teaching. Um, But over the course of his ministry, many people came to him and asked him, what's the secret? Man, as we look around, things are exploding with growth. God is blessing. People are being saved. It's a a revival. If we've ever seen it, this is revival. And it was continuous. It didn't just come and go. It was was a steady stream of growth and the Lord's favor was on him. They would ask him. Reporters would come. People would come. Other pastors from around the world would come and say, what's the secret? And he never wavered with his answer. Never. Spurgeon's answer? Prayer. And for Jesus, you might could say the same. You know, his life was marked by a lot of incredible things. He, um, he walked on water. He uh, healed the lame. He made the blind to see, the deaf to hear. He preached to thousands. He took a little boy's lunch and fed 5,000. He... He took a few more pieces of food and fed 4,000. Jesus' life was marked with the miraculous. And yet when the disciples came to him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Of all the things they could have asked for, they wanted to know how to pray. So Jesus answered that with a simple prayer that we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Or we might would better call it the model prayer. I told you a couple of weeks ago that... Um, Jesus doesn't actually pray this prayer. He, he wouldn't pray part of it, at least. He would never say, Lord, forgive me of my sin, because Jesus has never sinned. So he gives us this prayer as a model for us. A, a way that we can pray in a way that honors God. And a way that the Lord will hear and answer in a way that's effectual. And I don't know about you, but I want my prayers to matter. You want your prayer to matter? I mean, when we, when we pray, when we take, you know, seven, eight, ten minutes of our, of our gathered time together, it's not wasted time. It's time before our Father, before the King of Kings, and we want to come to Him and ask Him to do things that we cannot do. We want our prayer to matter. 
So what I want to do today and next week is just walk through this prayer together, the, the, the model prayer. We'll spend uh, this morning in the first half and next week in the second half. And it could be rightly divided in two ways. For God's glory and for our good. And so today we'll spend our time, Lord, teach us to pray for your glory. Um, take your Bible with me, if you will. And uh, I know you've just been seated. Would you please just stand and read just these few verses with me? Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus says, Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, teach us to pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So let's begin with our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. This part of the prayer, what we're learning here, what Jesus is teaching us here is that we have access to God. We have access to God. The emphasis is on relationship over religion. If you look at the teaching all around this prayer in Matthew 6, you see Jesus says, don't give to the needy as the hypocrites do because they give so that they'll be seen and have the praises of men. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites do. They, they pray out in the streets with many words. and Don't pray like that. They pray to be seen and pray to be heard. Instead, pray like this. And then he says, when, when you fast, don't fast like the hypocrites do. They they, they look all um, sad and mopey and their faces are, are distorted and they want people to know that they're starving themselves. Don't, don't do that. When you fast, take a shower, put on some clean clothes, look, you know, look like yourself. And he talks about this idea of the, the, the public and the private. And he says the hypocrites do things to be seen and heard, but... People who have a relationship with God, that's really all they care about is being with Him. And this idea when we start our prayer, our Father, the idea is that we have access to God. How do we have access to Him? We have access to God through adoption. Through adoption. I'm going to talk for just a moment about this. In the Old Testament... Um, People couldn't get to God. There was a separation between God and man. And only the high priest just once a year could go in and meet with God. And there was all kind of ceremonial stuff that had to be done. There was this separation between God and man. And it was right because God is holy and man is sinful. And that separation is right. But in Christ, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple that separated God from man, that veil was torn. And God opened up access to himself, but only through Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, what we see is that God has chosen us 
in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. It says, in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. We've been chosen to be sons, not slaves, but sons of God. We're adopted in. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Paul writes, and he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This idea uh, that we would cry Abba, it's like that word Abba is Aramaic for like daddy. It's this familial, personal, relational term. We can cry out to God personally. Now, how do we do that? How's that possible? Is adoption automatic? I mean, can, is God the father of all creation? Well, in, in some sense, yes, he's the father over all creation because he made everything. But in a very unique sense, he's only the father over his own children. And that's what we're talking about here is access to God through adoption. And the only way to be adopted, Ephesians 1 says, is in Christ in Christ. And here's, here's what we mean. Jesus said in John 14, 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except how? Through me. He doesn't say, I'm a way, a truth, and a life. If you want to get to the Father, just follow my example. You know, a lot of people think if we just kind of do what Jesus did and live a good life kind of like He lived, then we'll follow Him to the Father. That's not what Jesus says. He says, you get access to the Father through me. It's through Jesus, not by walking along behind him, but it's through him. Jesus didn't come just to be a good example or a mentor or a teacher. He came to be your substitute. He came to die in your place and shed his blood so that through his blood, you can have access to the Father. I want you to think for a moment uh, about just an illustration that maybe will help bring this to light. Um, you can really only stay in someone's house, live in someone's house um, in, in two, two ways. You are either a tenant, so you pay your rent, you pay your dues, you kind of keep up the property, uh, you obey the landlord's rules, and you have access to his house, right? Or you can be family. My children don't pay rent. They uh, sometimes keep up things. (laughs) They sometimes don't. But they have access. Because they're my family. I want you to think about this. Being part of the family is not without expectations. I mean, I expect my children to do things. After dinner last night, they did the dishes. I kind of helped them wash dishes. But being part of the family is not without expectation. But there's a difference. Listen, this is so important. As a tenant, you are accepted because of your payment and because of what you do. You're accepted because of your payment, your rent and what you do. But as family, you are accepted. The cost is paid by the father 
And you do the expected things because you are accepted. Does that make sense? We, that should well up worship in us. Let me give you another illustration. Hopefully that will, this, will, this will wake you up. This is the beautiful gospel of grace. I want you to really resonate with this. I, I was digging into this reality just Friday. Uh, I got to be at the county jail again on Friday and just loved it. Richard took me to a new place I've never been. I met some new guys and it was a bit intimidating, but uh, sat down and ended up talking with, uh, with Joe and Franklin and Brandon. And we got into a deep discussion of how can you know God? How can you know God? Great questions, right? And it was incredible the conversation. I told them um, some of these same truths. Let me share this one with you. See how this, maybe this would help tie it together. If I came up to you and just handed you a wad of money, a wad of cash, you know, roll a hundred dollar bills or something. And I just handed it to you and I was like, this is just a gift from me to you. What happens in your heart? How does your heart respond? Probably most of us are like, what? Are you serious? Wow, this is, this is too good to be true. I can't believe this. Wow, wow. this is awesome. Thank you. Whoa, wow, right? We take it. Or maybe some of you, uh, like me, are not good at receiving gifts. You might be like, whoa, wait, why? why? You don't know me. Maybe you reject it. A lot of you shaking your head, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'd take it. But your heart naturally wells up with praise because it's a gift of grace, right? So suppose that amount of money, you unroll it, you count it up, and it's like a whole month's worth of your payday. And you're just like, I can't believe, this is phenomenal, wow, right? All right, but then comes the end of the month, and you've worked hard all month long. It's been a rough week. The boss has kind of yelled at you. You've had a tough time. I had to work some overtime. And it's just been a tough week at work. You get home. There's payday. You open the check. You pull out the check. You look at the numbers. Yep, it's exactly what you expected. Do any of you look at your payday check and go, wow, I can't believe this is wonderful. This is amazing. Oh, wow. No, why? Because you earn it, right? You earn it. Here's the thing. Grace doesn't allow for earning. We have access to the Father, not because of anything we've done. Nothing we have done. Only the grace of God in Jesus Christ gives us access to the Father. Jesus came to rescue the perishing. He didn't come to lend a helping hand. He came to adopt sinners into the family of God. Are you thankful? Say amen if you're thankful. I'm thankful because I'm a sinner made a son by the grace of God. That's how I'm able to say our Father. Our Father. It's how I'm able to cry out to Him as Father. Now Jesus is the only way you can be adopted into the family. We say our Father who is in heaven God is in heaven. He's on the throne of glory. The picture here is that God has all authority. God has all authority. There's no one higher than Him. There's, God is above man. He is above the angels. He walks on the clouds. The Bible says He placed the stars with His fingertips and gave them all names. This is our God. He's the God in the heavens. So while... Our Father brings us into relationship. 
Our Father in heaven is the other side of the seesaw that brings it into balance. Relationship with reverence. There's a reverence, a holy fear, a holy respect for our God. While God is our Father, He's still the creator and the controller of the cosmos. And He demands a level of honor and reverence. You wouldn't walk into the Oval Office, sit down on the President's desk and say, What's up, Press? Doesn't matter who's in the office. You wouldn't do that because there's a holy reverence for the position. So much greater is the reverence and holy fear we should have for our God. In Genesis, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. This helps us keep it in balance. Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. The point here is his name over my name. His name over my name. The word hallowed, we don't use this word anymore. Um, The only time you probably are familiar with looking at it is at Halloween. That's pretty sad. But the idea here is to set apart as holy, to make something significant, to to revere, uh, to revere it, to honor the name of God. This part of prayer is not just an acknowledgement. You know, when I would read this prayer before, I, 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 I just thought, you know, hallowed be your name. Like your name is holy. Like I thought that was just a statement. It's not. It's. The, the writing in the original language is actually here as, a, as a, a soft imperative, which means it's a command that we're commanding God gently. We're saying, let your name be hallowed. You might would say, God, whatever it takes, do whatever it takes to make your name great. It's just kind of a soft command. We're praying to God, asking him to do what he already wants to do. Whatever happens, Lord, may it be in order to glorify your name. So many of us, the biggest competition to this request is our own personal agenda for our own namesake. We want our names to be honored. Jesus knew that. That's why in Matthew 6, he speaks directly to the heart of man that wants to be seen, that wants to be heard. Even in prayer, we want to be seen. Isn't that sad? The one thing that really should be an intimate conversation between us and God, we make it about our own praise somehow. And Jesus speaks to that and He says, pray this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. In Genesis 11, we find um, the story of the Tower of Babel. And one thing stands out to me in particular um, they built this, uh, the people were building this tower and they were getting it up to, up, I mean, high. I mean, you're talking about a skyscraper here. And they got really proud of themselves. And they, they said in verse four, look what it says. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heaven. And listen to this. And let us make a name for ourselves. That was their agenda. Let's look at the next verse here. And the Lord came down. 
Remember, God is in the heavens above. God is above man. It doesn't matter how high you build your tower, God will always be above you. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And he ended up at that point uh, confusing their languages and scattering them on the face of the earth. That's how we are in the condition we're in today. Making a name for ourselves. Worked out well. And yet, that's still our agenda. We still have to fight against it in the way that we pray. Lord, hallowed be your name. We should hear and feel this command, this this sort of petition with power to God. Make your name great as a reciprocal prayer that says, not my name. Your name over my name. Is your heart after the praises and glory of men? Or is it to give all glory to God? John 12, you see some leaders some Pharisees and leaders actually came to believe in Jesus. But they didn't want to lose their their position in the synagogue because they loved the praises of men and so they wouldn't confess Him. You can see the verse on the screen here behind me. It says, um, But for fear of the Pharisees and because they loved the synagogue, they did not confess Jesus as Lord. They wanted their name First, John 5, 44, Jesus makes a bold statement. We ought to hear it as a warning. He said, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another? What Jesus says is this desire for my own name's glory, my name in lights, my, my fame, my this, I want to be something. That desire is a, is a faith blocker. How can you believe when you're out for your own agenda? When you're for your own glory. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then Jesus says, pray this way, your kingdom come. What does that mean? I think the first thing we should do is define kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? It's kind of mysterious. Uh, We don't think about kingdoms a lot because we don't live in a kingdom, uh, so to speak, with a king and a monarchy. What it means in essence is the rule and reign of God. His rule and reign. Let me ask you. Just cross the room. I want to ask you to lift your hands. If, quickly, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lift your hand, please. Okay. You can put it down. If you lifted your hand, here's what I'm telling you. The kingdom of God is in you. Because in your life, The rule and reign of Jesus. Right? In your life, Jesus rules and reigns over you. If He says don't, you don't. If He says do, you do. He is King. Now that's not always an accurate assessment of your life and my life. But the journey we're on is meant to be a journey of submission to King Jesus. So when He says pray, your kingdom come, I I say that, that means two things. The two things are, we're praying... Lord Jesus, come. We're praying for His return, for His kingdom to come. I taught you a Greek word a while back. It was Maranatha. You remember that word? Maranatha, a few weeks ago. It meant our King is coming. Our King is coming. And that's what we're praying for, for Jesus to come and make His kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. The second way is we pray for more rebellious hearts to joyfully surrender to Christ. What I mean by that is we, it's evangelism. 
We're sharing the gospel and we're praying for people to give their heart and life to Jesus. So we long for a day for Christ to return. And in the meantime, we have a mission of spreading his kingdom. Our mission is to tell the gospel. I want to share this with you just because I want you to celebrate But I've been going to the jail for a while now, and I've had some really great visits. But Friday, I just left on fire, excited. I want to tell you why. I went in and sat down and ended up talking with three men. Great conversation. Richard came to get me at the time that we had discussed, and I said, hey, man, can you just give me a little more time? And he was like, sure. So he walked back out. He came back 30 minutes later, and in that span of 30 minutes, the Lord is just working, I'm telling you. Um, one, of, one of the men just weeping. And he says to me, I want to follow Jesus. I've tried. I've tried hard. But I can't stop doing cocaine. Every time I get out of this place, I just stick that needle back in my arm. My heart is breaking for this man. He's like, I don't know how to get out of it. Another man looks at me and he says, how am I supposed to know God? I can't even read. How can I read his book? How can I know God? I can't read. Another man says to me, somebody gave me a Bible last week and I've been reading it, but I don't understand a word of it. Can you help me? Yeah, let's start somewhere. Richard left that conversation and 30 minutes later he comes back. I want to tell you, somehow God is so good. All three of those men gave their lives to Jesus Christ. His kingdom is coming. And even in our jail, God is spreading His kingdom by men and women surrendering to Christ. That's the kingdom of God coming. It doesn't look like we think of a king coming in on a mighty war horse. No, it looks like broken lives surrendering to Jesus Christ. Because He's the only hope we have. He's the rescue for the perishing. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What Jesus is getting at here is it's all about His desire. I don't know about you, but when I come to pray, oftentimes I come and I just tell God what I want. And what Jesus is saying is that's not what prayer is primarily for. It's for your heart to line up with what God wants. The idea behind prayer is aligning our hearts with God's heart. It's not just making known our requests. Jesus says He already knows them. You're not going to tell Him something He doesn't already know. The thing is, He might tell you something you don't know. He might reveal to you something that you didn't even know you wanted. 
When we pray these words, your will be done. It's again another soft command to God. God, do what you want to do. But at the same time, it's a, it's a reciprocal kind of effect. When we pray that way, it pushes down in us the desire for our own wants. It pushes it down. As we exalt His will, it pushes ours down. Jesus does pray this prayer in the midst of great suffering, knowing the cross is just moments away. He says, Lord, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. He didn't just preach it, he practiced it. May it be the case in us, Lord. And then finally, We'll finish this section, this half of the prayer. He says to pray this way. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Simply, how is his will done in heaven? How is his kingdom in heaven? How is his name lifted up in heaven? To put it shortly, perfectly. His name is greatly praised and honored. His reign is unquestioned and unchallenged and beloved. The people under the rule of King Jesus love his rule and his reign. And he is unchallenged. And his will is perfectly carried out. You could say it this way. Our father gets all the glory. And Jesus is teaching us to pray this way. So when we pray, when you pray, pray for the glory of God. Pray for the glory of God. God, make yourself glorious. That's the starting point. That's the source from which a beautiful river flows. It's not that we shouldn't bring to Him our request. In fact, that's where we go next week. Lord, give us this day. But that's downstream. The downstream flow of grace starts with His glory and flows into our good. And so I want to encourage you to pray for the glory of God. Charles Spurgeon, he never wavered. When he was asked, what's the power? What's, what's, the, what's, what's causing all this growth in your church? He never wavered. They would say, what's the secret to your rapidly growing church? This revival, these thousands of people being saved, this hundreds of pastors being trained, this multiplication of the church. What's the secret? And he would say, prayer. And if they stuck around longer, he would say, not just any prayer, not just babbling people, not just people out on the street praying to be seen and heard. He said, we have a chamber of people praying actually right under the podium where I preach. And you know what their prayer is? God be glorified. Would you join me in praying this way as we begin a new year to not pray selfishly, but to pray for the glory of our God. Let's cry out to God for his glory here at Mountain View Church, in the cities in which we live, in this state, in our country, in North America and across the globe. Let's pray for God's glory. That's how you pray when you pray for our friends in Lebanon. 
That's how you pray when you pray for our friends in Haiti, when you pray for the Calhoun County Jail, when you pray for our missionaries with crew or, or the FCA. You know how to pray? God, make yourself glorious. In Haiti, in Lebanon, through crew, through the jail ministry, through FCA, through all, through Mountain View Church, Lord, make your name great. We live and we pray for God's glory.